Hey there, I'm your host, Justin Owens, and this is the Can't Stop Moving Podcast, a deep dive into the life, experiences, and businesses of my very own grandfather, Gary Owens. Each episode, we discuss a different segment of his life or a particular business. He was doing so many different things at the same time, it was really difficult to go in chronological order. So you'll discover quickly that we go off on tangents and down random rabbit holes, but bear with us as I figure out how to interview someone I've known my entire life and attempt to tease out stories I've heard for the better part of 30 years. But when school got out, I, I hired a girl to be the car hop. In the daytime, I was a car hop till school got out. Get the order, go cook it, and haul it back out. Well, before we get into the A&W's heavy, because that's a whole, <laughs> I mean, two and a half decades. Um, let's talk about the drive-in theater. East Sprague Drive-In Theater. Um, how did you get that job? Well, I'd rolled that tractor on May 18th, so in June and July, I'm healing up. And I'd got, when I rolled a tractor, I I crossed Hangman Creek. I got down underwater, and so the lungs got water, and and so when I talk, I'd gurgle. So I goes to the dad moves to the buys a trailer, and we moved to Valley View Trailer Court right across from the entrance and exit to the East Bank Driving Theater. So I'd go over there and ask for a job, and so since I couldn't talk very good. It took me till a couple months before I could talk pretty good, and then they hired me. And so, what kind of stuff were you doing at the drive-in? Washing the bugs off the windows of the car so they see the screen. Huh. And a sure. guy named <laughs> Bob Feebigger was the manager, and he had opened that theater. He had a degree. Uh, business degree out of Harvard Business School, a lieutenant J.G. in the Navy. So he ran it like Captain Bly ran the mutiny on the bounty. Pleasant. Oh, he was a tiger. And he he just treated people. He had no personality. He was real gruff. So I listened to it for about a year. And one day I said I had enough. Well, he he liked you though. Oh yeah, he liked me. I was a worker, and so he'd bring Joanne and I home to supper at his place. And but he treated everybody else terrible. And I one day I goes to the boss downtown in the Post Theater, and where the office was, and I said to Joanne, "I'm going to leave the car running. I'm just going to go in and quit. I'll be right back." And when I was working for him at the theater, I was also working for him at the fairgrounds, interstate fairgrounds, because the boss had the contract at the fairgrounds. For the concessions? Yeah, we were the only ones that could sell food, except during the fair. They'd let other people come in. The rest of the time, it was just us. So every dog show, horse show, boat show, car show, I, I managed that and the theater. Is that how you ended up having like your A and W's and Orange Julius in the interstate fairgrounds? 
Was no, that, that connection well, later on. The church had a booth there, and I bought them out. Oh, okay. And put an A and W in there. And had it there for thirty-five years. So. Um, one of, one of the stories with you at the drive-in theater that always stuck with me on how hard you worked was how big the crew was when you first started there. Yeah, on. Every Saturday, they had a work crew come in. There were nine of us, me and eight city kids. And so we'd paint the fences. We had a weed burner. We'd burn every weed. It would come up through the gravel. and in behind, There's 14 rows of cars, and then behind that, it was kind of a weed patch from there and a fence at the back. And so we'd burn all the weeds within that theater. We'd paint the fences, a lot of fence around the drive-in theater. The screen tower, the bottom of the screen tower, planted hundreds of cottonwood trees. They're still there. And that's real rocky in the valley. We had to take jackhammers, jackhammer a hole, put dirt in it, and plant a cottonwood tree. So there was there was a lot of work to be done. Well, when it come to the jackhammer and separated me from the city kids real quick. So next Saturday, there's seven of us. Next Saturday, there's five of us. Four and then three. And so they then two. They just said, we'll just give you a note and you take care of it. To so you. I was the only one. <laughs> But, you know, I could do it because uh, being off the farm. Hard work. Yeah. Um, so you're you're doing a lot of the maintenance stuff at the drive-in theater, and you were saying you went into your, not your boss's office, but the owner's office yeah. to quit. Yeah. Why would you want to quit? Just the demeanor of the... The manager... He just treated people terrible, and I tired of looking at it. So they said, well, "Why, why do you want to quit?" And uh, so I just don't want to watch it anymore. They said, "Well, do you think you could do it?" I said, "I could do as good as he's doing," but I went in there to quit. It mm-hmm. well, wasn't Joanne waiting in the car. Yeah. Yeah, you wait five minutes. I'll be right back. (laughs) Come back and said, I'm running the place. (laughs) (laughs) And who who was the owner of the... Joseph Rosenfield. Joseph Rosenfield. And he had not just the drive-in theater, but he had little indoor theaters. Five in and five out. Oh. I didn't realize he had that many outdoor uh, drive-in theaters. So in the winters, he's called me up <clears throat> one time. He, I was in a quitter do something. He called me down to the office. He says, "Well, I went there to quit." He says, "Why are you quit?" I said, I "Can't stand it anymore watching." So anyway, he hired me right on the spot, and I said, "Well, I need I need more money." I, I was, 
They had made me the assistant manager, and it wasn't enough money. So he offered me his car, and it was a station wagon. And I said, well, I can't eat the car. I feed the kids off the car. I need a raise. So I got a raise. And But those guys taught me how to do business. The Jewish people, I got great respect for them. They got a way to do business, a way not to do business, and just dead honest. And and Joseph Rosenfield certainly exuded those qualities and, I mean, really taught you the ins and outs of running a business. Yeah. Yeah, you handle the money. You counted out the money. You took the money to the bank, kept your change fund. So here... So here you are, manager now. How long did you stay there, and how did it change working there? Well, I t- the Coke machine and the 7-Up machine, you buy a gallon of syrup, and you pour these five-gallon these five jugs into this tank, and so when you poke the button it to serve a pop, the water, the carbonated water and the syrup made it to the nozzle and you got carbonated pop. But the jugs, they just throw them away in the garbage. And so I scraped the labels off of them and sold them to the A&W on Trent, Glenn Meyer. And so I got to know those A&W guys. And so the next year we leased the A&W on Trent. And by June, we opened in April and it rained and we didn't do nothing. But boy, cleared up a little and all of a sudden there's cars everywhere. So I, by June, I knew that this is the deal. We just got to, oh, in the meantime, Ray Lamp, a retired rancher, farmer from Harrington, had land that ran down to Lake Roosevelt. He uh, he had a nephew called Pat Byrne, and Pat was a promoter, but he didn't like to work. So Pat uh, Pat bought the N.W. Dishman and the N.W. on uh, Lincoln Heights, and he had the one on Monroe. So he bought the one on Monroe from D.W. Reynolds, and Reynolds was stern. He'd built a business is doing sixty grand gross and it netted twenty. So Pat he buys Reynolds out and Reynolds he's real unhappy. Pat's the business is going south. And um so he he's driving around, he hears about me, and he comes out and says you're a worker. I hear you're a worker. And you need to go talk to Ray Lamp because he's having trouble with his nephew running the A&Ws. And he says, I'm really unhappy with they bought mine and they're running it downhill. It was a good one on Monroe. So I didn't go see him. I'm frying my hamburgers, and one day Ray pulls up in his car. And says, why don't you quit monkeying around out here and come to a good store? (laughs) So he says, 
if you can get $5,000, he said, I'll sell you a third of Monroe. I, he paid 60 for it, and he had a contract for 40 paid 20 down. So I paid, I'm going to buy a third. So I put up, Joe and I started out in an eight-foot-wide trailer, bought it for 2000 painted it, and they, they wouldn't let me in the trailer court, so I painted it, and they let me in. So we went to buy a house when Lane came along. Your and first, a, your first son or your first child. Yeah, and so luckily, we found a house on Seventeenth and University by the University Grade School. A guy named Bob Quinn was selling the house, and he owned a trailer court on East Sprague, so he allowed me. Four thousand dollars. I bought the house for ten thousand seven fifty, minus four thousand for the trailer. So when Ray said, "Get five thousand, and we'll sell you. You buy in for a third. So I refinanced my house that I just got, got the five grand, gave it to Ray, owed him fifteen on the contract, which I paid for. Which when I paid him off, he said, "That's the first time anybody's ever paid off the contract that they owed me." <laughs> <laughs> that should have been a, a foretelling thing for you going forward. So Ray, he he liked me, and uh, so I, I go into Monroe, and I turn that thing around. We're putting every hour of the day in that drive-in, and boy, we got it up stomping. And so I'm thinking that. We were used to living on five thousand a year. That's in a back then that was the average wage and a truck driver with a union made six thousand. And Rose doing making twenty. So when we buy in there, all of a sudden we got money and we weren't spending any money. So I find this piece of land at Five Mile Shopping Center. Grant Francis and Maple. Yeah. Maple didn't cross Francis. So I buy I buy this lot from Cunningham Sand and Gravel. Well, first of all, Mrs. Cunningham and Mr. Cunningham would come down to Monroe after church every Sunday, bring the kids, three kids, and eat hamburgers. So we got to know each other. I'd say hi. Goodbye. So I'm at Monroe one day and find out that he he rolled a dozer in the gravel pit and killed himself. So she said to me after a couple of weeks, um, Gary, she said, I got this piece of land at Five Mile gravel pit. And it was a new. And people want to buy it, but they want to build taverns and everything. But we'd like you to build an A&W up there. So I was making money at Monroe. So we took, I bought the land for 23000 I owned it about one day. And the city came by and said, thank you very much. We're building a road across. They took more than a third of my land. 
that I'd paid twenty three thousand for gave me twenty four hundred. He said, "You don't like us, sue us." We didn't have any money to sue the city. I mean, we're just kids. Intimidating. So they build. They take a third of my land, and they build Maple Street across Francis on, on a valley. So, I said to Dad, Monroe was doing really good. I said that when we build that driveway in five mile, I think that thing will do a hundred thousand dollars. Dad, oh my God, son, don't ever say something like that. Boasting, you know. Mm-hmm. Opens it up and did one hundred sixty-seven thousand. And a good part of it, most of it was root beer, jugs of root beer, and. Mugs of root beer, not as much percentage. It had a, it had a weird uh, ratio. Ratio more root beer than food. So it it was a gold mine, and uh, we we bought a house that when we built Five Mile, I had a bid for forty six thousand eighty six thousand to build Five Mile, and I'd never built a building before, you know, hogsheads and stuff like that, but. Basically, I could drive a nail, and but I designed what the floor plan for that. I knew exactly what I wanted, so I I drew the plans. Got a bid for eighty six. Hired a carpenter named Wally Klein and built it for forty six. And thus, Owens Construction started, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got a bond, got a license. You had to get a bond to get a license. All of a sudden, I was on construction. Wally Klein, to work for, used to, you know, make a big point of, don't you know this is on construction? <laughs> and Which was always a little tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah, yeah. because it's just me and a water-ass kid, and, <laughs> and the carpenter didn't know what he was doing. But, I mean, how many drive-ins did you guys end up Building for yourselves and other A and W franchisees. I built one in Wallace Kellogg. Built one in Coeur d'Alene. There was oh Coeur d'Alene. There was one in Oregon. Well, that was uh, for us. Yeah, we built one in uh, Biggs, Oregon. I mean, there must have been Danny's Washington. I built one in Vancouver, Washington for. Guy, uh, can't think of his name. I mean, with your drive-ins and other people's, I mean, you built over 20 for sure. Uh, no, 15 maybe. I can't remember. Because you had the building and expo that you moved and oh, yeah. set up for the other guy. And yeah. I mean, yeah. There were quite a few. And you ended up, for a water-ass kid, the main franchise of A&W drive-ins started coming to you for designs yeah. for new restaurants. Yeah, they'd say, well, the president of A&W mm-hmm. named Ed Weber, he got me his car one day down in L.A. He said, come to L.A. Uh, we want you to build prototypes for us. So we go out on the freeway, and he comes to this bicycle building he said that's the design i want you to make right there do it do it off of that and it had a peak hmm. 
And so I built one in Biggs, Oregon, one in Vantage. Well, the one in Vantage is still there. It's just changed names a few times. I think yeah. the last time I went through, it was called Blusteries. Oh, I thought it just said burgers. Anyway, we, the World's Fair, I had a hay trailer that's 40 feet long. So we, we got in the World's Fair. There was 132 people from Spokane wanted to have the concessions in the fair, in the World's Fair. So two years before, when I heard the fair was coming to town, I applied, and I paid them the rent deposit. In full. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they used that money. They wanted somebody to put their money up so they could build a fair with them. All that. Mm -hmm. Got some skin in the game. So I had enough money. I paid my rent two years in advance. And then lo and behold, Ohio Sports Services from Cincinnati comes rolling into town. They're building a fair, put, trying to figure out how to put the World's Fair on. These guys write them a check for $500,000 and pick up all the concessions, the parking, the security. And the, and the funny part of that was, was they knew that I had signed a contract and paid my rent. Well, you and one other local guy, right? Yeah, uh, Strawberry shortcake guy, but I don't know where he was in the fair. But I, the paper said that out of three hundred and some applicants, two of us got in. Me and the fair, the shortcake guy. So before the fair starts, a guy named Arnold Kagan calls me up. He said we'd like to meet with you. And it was Sunday. They called Joanne at the farm. She said, "Well, he's working." And he closes on Sunday at 11 o'clock. You want to see him? Call him and see if he'll talk to you. So they got a hold of me, and I said, well, I, I'll be up there at 11 o'clock at Lincoln Heights, and I'll talk to you. They wanted to buy me out. He said, we're Ohio Sports Services. We, we have all the concessions in the fair except you. And they do this at every... At the time, they were doing this at every expo. They would go in and buy the contracts for all the concessions well, and everything I, they could. I, I know that they were in several World's Fair. Okay. They said, I said, no, I, I paid my rent. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay. And they got me up into the, when you go under the Howard Street Bridge, you look up, there's a high-rise apartment house. And they had rented the top floor of that building. So they'd get me up there, and they really put the pressure on. And when they couldn't, I said, I'm not going to sell. They said, well, okay, you're about to make more money than you ever made in your life. But just come along with our prices, and you'll make a lot of money. I said, like what? And I said, why are you charging for coffee? And they said, 75 cents. I said, ours is 25. And I signed a contract with Dean, Dean Guentelli, the concession guy representing the World's Fair, that I would sell, uh, our prices would be the same as the drive-ins. So they said, 
I said, I signed a contract. Well, and I mean, back then, if you raised the price of coffee from oh. 20 to 25 cents. Oh, they howled? <laughs> Terrible. They thought they'd starved them. And so later on, Starbucks comes into Seattle. I said, that's about a dumb deal I ever seen. We're going to pay 85 cents for a cup of coffee. To finish this conversation between Justin and his grandfather, Gary, check out episode six of Can't Stop Moving. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and download so you don't miss a single episode. You can find Can't Stop Moving podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit us at owensfarms.com and interact with us on Instagram at Modern Farmer USA.